0: Good morning everyone. For those who do not know me, my name is Tom Sylvia. I'm the associate pastor here at East Shore. We're going to continue going through the book of Mark and our series there. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 4 verses 1 through 20. That's uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And if you do not have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. We'll be on page 997 there. So go ahead and turn with me. We've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me as we read the Word. So here we go. Mark 4, 1 through 20. Verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables, and in his teaching he said to them, "'Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil.' And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said he who has ears to hear let him hear first 10 and when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables and he said to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of god but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil... Are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundredfold. you could be seated. Let me pray. Father, Lord, as we are here reading from your word, we just ask that you just give all of our minds the, uh, the ability to understand your word, the, un- the ability to see your works, and Lord, we just pray that this week, from your word, being encouraged by your word, that Lord, we work for you. Help us to do that. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so it's a big parable. We've got 20 verses here before us, so we've got to just go ahead and dive Dive on in. I've heard it said about this parable. So many of us are well familiar, familiar with it that it requires lots of application and less exposition since we're all used to it and we're going to have a lot of application. So, we, this is the parable of the sower. And it is a parable that is in all three of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic being Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're synoptic because they're all very similar. And This parable is the first of the parables in the book of Mark, and it actually is the first in all three of the books, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's also in this parable where we get the reason why Jesus speaks in parables. So before we get into the parable of the sower, we have to start there. We need to know why Jesus speaks in parables. So to do that, let's first define what is a parable. I'm going to use a de- definition from a man named Klein Snodgrass. He's considered one of the leading scholars when it comes to parables. And he wrote a book called, called Stories with Intent. I highly recommend it. And this is how he defines the parable. A parable is an expanded analogy used to, conce- used to convince and persuade they prompt thinking and stimulate response in relation to God. The parables compel us, for Christ's sake, literally, to do something. There's an Old Testament example of this with King David. He commits the sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan the, pro- the prophet approaches the king, king David with a, with a parable, a story. And the story was designed to compel David To action in his case towards repentance and so nathan tells king david the story and david listens to it and at the end of it he was outraged he was ready to immediately go and seek justice on behalf of this poor man and his little lamb but when in the midst of his rage nathan stands up and stings him with this response saying you david are that man David immediately repented of his wrong. He was brought to action because of that parable. See, parables are designed to persuade, and they force us to reflect on who we are and our relationship to Christ. So that's what that's what a parable is. Now we need to ask the question, why does Jesus speak in parables? I'm going to give three answers. The first answer The first answer is simply because they're memorable. They're memorable. It's a lot easier to remember a story than it is a bulleted list of information. How many of us in this room can recall stories from the Old Testament or recall many of the parables Jesus speaks and can at almost at a whim summarize the story and get to the points of what the story is trying to convey? But yet when we're asked to give the the essence of Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, where we stumble a little bit because it's more information-based. So he speaks in parables because they're memorable. Second answer, he speaks in parables because they convict us of our wrong. In counseling, when you counsel somebody, you can be very direct with them and tell them exactly what their problems are, what their problem particularly is, and then tell them how to change. And now they may or may not uh, take your... Counsel, or they, if they do, then that's not going to be a very long lasting change upon the person because it was your idea. However, if you tell them in counseling a story to kind of prove your point, and they, the counselee, identifies themselves in that story, and then they begin to internalize their wrong, and they begin to implement their change going forward, guess what? That change is most likely going to stick because it came from within. How many of you have heard a story, recognized yourself in that story, and initiated change? That's what parables do. The third answer is because Jesus wants to shame the wisdom of man and exalt the wisdom of God. Jesus teaches using these stories and parables, and those who are hard of heart are just pretty much left bewildered. What is going on? They have no idea what Jesus is trying to say, say, or the truths he is trying to convey. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 again. Verse, let's start, let me start with verse 11. And he said to them, "'To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, "'but for those outside, everything is in parables, "'so that they may indeed see but not perceive. "'They may indeed hear but not understand.'" lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now verse 12 is can be tricky, but it comes from Isaiah chapter 6, which we all read as a church together. And it and in summary it means that those whose hearts are hardened might be hearing the words of the gospel message but they are not understanding the depth of the gospel meaning. They can hear the words, they can interpret the words and define the words by their literal definitions, but they have no idea what the gospel means or says or how it applies to them. They're seeing the acts of Christ, but they do not perceive that these are the works of God. They're blind to it. Why? Because earthly wisdom is by definition limited to things that are seen. But to understand the gospel, we have to abandon our earthly wisdom and embrace the spiritual wisdom, the heavenly wisdom, for things unseen. We cannot expect us, who are limited in nature, to understand the one who is infinite in being. There's a great chasm that separates us from our omnipotent Father, and He must be the one to come to us and not us to Him and if we depend on our human wisdom to understand the gospel in summary that is us trying to come and approach god on our terms and god will not have that that's why jesus speaks in parables the pharisees they only they depended on themselves they only wanted themselves they wanted their own self seeking knowledge The need, the idea for them to have any need of God's omniscient wisdom was a burden to them. They hated that idea. So Jesus gave them their wish and concealed that truth from their hearts. So that's why we have parables. So with that, let's now dive in to the meaning of this parable. Let's glean the application that the Lord gives us. The parable of the sower. Now, each character in a parable represents a person or a particular truth. Okay, in this case, the main point of this parable is to teach us what to expect when we, when we proclaim the gospel. How are those hearing the gospel responding? That's what we're learning here. Now, do we expect everyone to believe the gospel when they hear it? No, we don't. Because in fact, there are four possible outcomes when someone hears the gospel. We can first expect Satan to come and overcome the person. Second, we can expect the world to bring about persecution, tribulation, and for the person to recant. Third, We can expect the world to come and bring and show them all the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then that person to choose the world over Christ. And fourth, we can expect the person to believe. Those are our four options. Four different responses of an unbeliever Jesus tells us about using four different soil types. The path, the rocky ground, the soil conducive to thorns, and the fertile ground. So before we dive into those paths let's start with the sower okay we need to see about the sower who's the one proclaiming the gospel so let's begin with the sower i have two observations about the sower and they're going to be short first he's a good steward of the word and second he proclaims the word okay in summary the sower in this story is the christian's job description if a new believer comes up to you and asks you what do i do now that i'm a christian you have a great parable here to show them what they're to do tell them look at the sower let's mimic his actions he stewards the word the gospel by how by going in an agricultural society where harvesting is essential for life jesus gives us a sower who does exactly what one would expect him to do he goes out to sow, to plant his seed. Verse three, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. The sower doesn't sit on a front porch with a bag of seed next to him expecting to reap a harvest. He doesn't expect it to grow anything. He knows he has to take the seed to the field. He has to go. He's got to get up. Work must be done. The seed is his food, his source of life, and he cannot stand back and withhold that from himself or from the world. And we have the gospels. We have the gospel. It is not a gospel for us to enjoy alone, but one that is meant to be shared and given to the world. It must go out. God did not give us the gospel to keep it secret or to keep it safe, but to be carried for us to herald this news Matthew 28 19 first word go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit the main verb there is make disciples but go is modifying the verb you have to go And there is enough Jesus to go around and you will find the more of him you give to others, the more of him you will have for yourself. As as the sower stewards his seeds by going to sow them, so the Christian stewards the gospel by going out to proclaim it. And I'm going to, let me just also briefly add here real quick, that the sower knows his seed is going to reap a harvest. I mean, no farmer plants with the expectation of no crops. No farmer plants with the expectation of no food. I mean, that would just be absurd. That would just be wasted effort. The same for us. When we go out, we expect the Lord to work. We expect a harvest. I love this quote from the Puritan John Trapp. He says, as the harvest is potentially in the seed, so is eternal life in the word preached. We have the, the words of eternal life. We're going to expect them to take root. So go out with a lot of courage and great hope this week because the Lord is going to use you. So the sower stewards the word and goes. Let's look at what the sower does next. He spreads the seeds. The sower knows he must go to spread the seeds and he's also aware of how to spread them. In the story, he's casting the seeds to where they're landing on all different types of soil. He's casting. them. He's casting away some on thorns, some on landing on the path, some on rocky ground. He's not showing any partiality towards any of the soil types, but casting. It's not until later that the sower will realize how each uh, soil sprouts the, the seed or the harvest. He doesn't know until afterwards. What are we as Christians commanded to do? We're commanded to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. When we see a person, we need to be thinking opportunities to proclaim the gospel. We need to be thinking for that gospel to be taking root and flourishing within this person. We don't withhold the gospel from anyone. What reason could we have to withhold the gospel from someone when the gospel is so wonderful and we ourselves did not deserve it either? It is a gift for all to be enjoyed and for all to experience. It does not matter what your view of salvation is. Whether you're a Calvinist, an Arminianist, an Emeraldian, a Molinist, a Provisionist. There's a lot of them and there's more. Any of those other isms, the gospel goes out. It doesn't matter what that person has done. They get the gospel. Friend or family, they get the gospel. It might be awkward, but we give them the gospel. Coworkers, strangers we meet in the public square, it could be awkward, but we give them the gospel. We give them every chance for the Lord to work in their life. Are they an annoyance to you? Do you dislike them? Do you want to avoid them? We give them the gospel. They a convicted murderer, a thief, a disliked politician. They get the gospel. Luke 4:24:47 And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Habakkuk 2:14 For the earth will be, that's a promise, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. We go and we proclaim the gospel. Do not get weary in sharing the gospel. Do not get discouraged because you may proclaim that gospel 100 times and receive no response. And our reward is not in how others respond, but it is in our duty to our God. We labor first and foremost, not for the unbeliever to repent. That is not our first and foremost concern. Our first and foremost concern is our duty in the glory of God. God will do the rest. We want to come before him whenever we go through the pearly gates and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Charles Spurgeon, our duty is not measured by the character of our hearers, but by the command of our God. We are bound to preach the gospel, whether man will hear or whether they will forbear. Keep your chins up and be of good cheer and spread that good news. For those who faithfully sow the word are pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And that is a trophy worth working for. (laughs) So now we proclaim the gospel as instructed, but our Lord is also very gracious because he tells us what to expect. And I want you to know before we begin to dive into these soil types, these types of soil isn't just somebody is always representing of the rocky ground they may be for a season the soil of the rocky ground and then maybe for a different season be soil that's conducive to thorns and then maybe another season they will repent and believe okay so it's not just if you are if you would have fallen into any one of these categories you are them forever that is not what our lord is saying here he is simply giving us the different responses of the gospel So as us being sowers of the word, let us see what the Lord tells us to expect, okay? Let's begin with the first type of soil, which is the path. Now this seed, excuse me, this seed falls along the path of the sower and then the birds come and eat it, okay? The soil is representing the person who hears the gospel and does nothing with the gospel. They simply ignore it. And then the birds come, the birds who represent Satan and his demons, come and they see that this soil is doing nothing with the gospel, this person doing nothing with the gospel, and they come and immediately snatch him away. Okay, so there's going to be four steps to each of these uh, accounts. So the first step is the person hears the gospel message. Okay, this person, this soil, they hear the gospel So let's move on to the second step, which is they do something with the gospel. What do those who are like the path do? Well, in this case, we know from Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, that this person spends no time to understand the gospel, and they therefore ignore it because it's of no importance to them. They just don't understand it. They don't take the time to understand it. So with that, let's see what happens because they're about to be challenged they hear the they hear the word now they're going they do something with the gospel now they're about to be challenged what happens with them well because they don't understand the gospel satan comes and it's a quite easy it's no con- contest for satan he comes and his demons take full advantage of their ignorance and snatches them away this person is helpless what can a seed do against a bird their only weapon to fight off the evil one was the gospel, and they completely neglected it. They sold themselves instead to a hard heart, which Satan loves most of all. That brings us to the fourth step. It, we learn where this path, this soil, if one was to follow, where does it lead to? It leads to hell. So what do we learn from this? Uh, this scenario I'm gonna, I am gonna. see a few things we learned from this scenario the first thing we learned from this scenario is that Satan is very much at work in this world he is wandering to and fro upon the earth like a roaring lion and he hates gospel work and, when he, and he is looking to destroy the works of God when he sees the opportunity he will take advantage of it So if we need any reminder this morning, then this could be it, that our enemy is real. Okay? Satan is real and he is not to be taken lightly. He feeds off the desire to stop the gospel from going out to the ends of the earth. He is consumed with this mission and he cannot do anything but that. That is his sole purpose. So be aware of him. Be aware of him. Keep your armor on at all times. Do not be tempted to loosen its straps. We will take off God's armor in heaven together. Until then, we are going to remain vigilant because he is at work. The second thing we learn from this uh, scenario, the parable and this seed in the soil, is that we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to continue to learn more about the gospel so that we can communicate the gospel with the utmost clarity. If you lack the ability to speak the gospel clearly, fully, and succinctly, then you need to commit to learning it better until you can speak it clearly. We must strive to give someone every, opportun- every opportunity to understand the gospel Now, it's not our fault when someone misinterprets the gospel, but we dare not be the reason for their misinterpretation. What is one job that all of us here can commit to, one that's worthy of your labor, one that it is worth sacrificing your evenings for, uh, even a year's worth of evenings for? Learning the gospel. Get to work. Learn the gospel. Reach out to Pastor Tom Toon. Ask him to train you on the gospel and how to share the gospel. He has the gift of evangelism and he has a lot of different methods on how to do so. He's going to take care of you. He's just a thorough guy all around. We have some books at the Resource Center on evangelism. Read them. We're all about the gospel here. So we're here to equip you on how to know and to communicate the gospel. It's important to do so. The third thing I want us to see here is who resembles this type of person? So we can expect this response, but what type of person in our modern day society is this? Well, without a doubt, the Pharisees fit this category. The, if you're looking learning about the biblical Pharisees, that's those who seed is fallen on the path. The Satan has snatched them. In our modern age, you can identify this person by their level of hatred for God. Satan hates God, and those under his care are only influenced to hate God more and more and more. That's what Satan wants to do. And if he's got a hold of somebody, then you bet he will seek to callous their hearts towards a loving father. So if you know someone that absolutely just hates God, detests the things of the gospel, loves to twist his words for their own benefit, then you might have met this soil type. How do you overcome this prayer? Continue to pray for them. Let's move to the next one, the rocks. Now this one, The sower casts seed into the rocky ground. He's spreading the gospel. This one happens to land in the rocky ground, and a plant springs forth, but withers due to the heat of the sun. And we learn that the rocky ground speaks to a person who has no foundation of Christ, but is rooted in their own emotions. Once the sun comes up, the sun representing persecution knocks at their door. They quickly denounce the Lord and their faith. So let's look at these steps. Step one, the person hears the gospel. Okay, we proclaim to them the gospel. Then they do something with it with step two. And this person, he's, they're different from the first. And the other one, we learned in Matthew, they just didn't understand it. They don't do anything with it. This one understands something about the gospel. There's something here they've grabbed onto, but their understanding remained shallow which led to their downfall because they, they might have gotten this hint of truth, but it was only what they wanted to know, and they didn't go into the depths of the gospel, what Christ wants them to know. And that, that was their mistake. It was enough truth that whatever they believed in their minds, it was enough for them to give them the motivation to go on rejoicing, to go and tell everybody, look, I got the gospel. I believe they're joyful. They're smiling. They're planting. People think, look, something's growing here. Where of hope for a moment until their understanding of the gospel goes, or I. Where does this step forward? Where does this uh, understanding lead? It leads to hell. It leads to hell persecution comes. This was their challenge. Persecution comes and what brought them joy now brings them misery and they want nothing to do with it. The truth of the gospel that was ends up being revealed in the moment was not the truth that they were understanding. And so they recant everything that was so dear to them. This leads to hell. What do we learn from this situation? One, we learn that persecution is a part of the gospel. We cannot proclaim the gospel without mentioning persecution. Our Lord was persecuted, how much so would his followers be. We cannot tell people that they're by believing in this message that their life will be free of worry or tribulation. They need to expect it. They need to expect it. A righteous life is a life called to suffer, and this person thinks The gospel is only good enough to save them in the afterlife, but not good enough to save them in this life alone. And that's a misunderstanding. The gospel is strong enough to save us from everything. When temptation or tension comes your way, do not distort the truth to preserve your life or loosen your integrity to secure your safety. Remain steadfast as you walk through the fire because the Lord of hosts, He is entering into the fiery pit alongside you. Do not recant. The gospel is persecution. The gospel is also a Lord that walks with you through it. I'm going to quote this up forthcoming young theologian and he gave a good quote and I think we just need to know it by the young man Adam Warman. As it has been proven by martyrs, the gospel is worth losing your life over. Come what may, come what may. Second thing I noticed that we learned from this gospel is that this person, they didn't wrestle with the gospel. They simply just believed it. They heard it immediately. They believed it. And that word immediately only speaks to, only modifies this soil type. Okay. You might know somebody that you're sharing the gospel to, And if something is going on within them, if there's an internal wrestling with these truths of the gospel, guys, that's a good sign. The lack of wrestling could cause some question marks. Because, see, the gospel gospel is a call to change your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle change. And a lifestyle change cannot happen on one's own strength, and they will not uproot their sinful habits easily. They've got to wrestle through it. John Flavel, it is easier to cry out against a thousand sins of others than to slay one of your own, and they're being called to slay one of their own. It's hard. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will work slowly on a person. If you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they continue to push back against you, accept it. Bear it with them. Continue to press forward, because the Lord might just be working in them. It doesn't happen overnight. The thorns, the third soil type. Now some of the seed that the sower was throwing fell into the thorns and the plant sprouted. But because of the thorns, there, were, there, there, were, there was no fruit that was produced. This represents the person who hears the gospel but is overcome by the world's temptations. They're given into the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and, or the pride of life. And they would rather have the world than a savior. So they hear, the, they hear the gospel, and what do they do with it? Well, this person understands the gospel to be less than what it is. They, they, they hear the gospel, and it's really not that glorious to them. It's more it, when they hear the gospel being like a, a precious pearl hidden in the field. They, they begin to unpack, and they're just like, mm, I don't think it has that value. Okay? It just doesn't uphold that weight or worth. So with that understanding, that's what they do with it. What happens when they're challenged? Well, the world puts in front of them two options. Riches or the gospel. Riches wins. How about the world's going to say, okay, if riches don't get you, how about all these sensual pleasures or the gospel? The sensual pleasures, the worldly pleasures win. How about that doesn't work? How about all these material comforts? How about all this critical acclaim, friends? If you just do these things, experience the material glory, the comforts, the companion of all the worldly friends, look what they can do for you, or a group of sinners redeemed by the blood of Christ. They choose the world. (laughs) They would rather have the world, they would rather have their riches and momentary comforts. They give little thought to the things eternal and their minds is focused only on the now. C.S. Lewis. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We get impatient, we get hasty, and we settle for less. Where does this understanding of the gospel lead to? It leads to hell. And there, they won't find the same comforts. So what do we learn from this situation? Well one, we learn that we cannot scare people into heaven. You cannot do it you must we must share the gospel in a way that the person experiences the riches of his grace the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us and the overwhelming ever-flowing love of christ poured out on us people will go to heaven believe in heaven when they experience the mercies and the greatness and the glories of our savior not from the terror of hell A get-out-of-hell-free card will not work. Why? Why? Why will it not? We can scare people into heaven? Well, what is heaven going to be like? It's going to be a place where we all sing about Jesus all the time. Where we talk about Jesus all the time. When we're next to Jesus all the time. Jesus is the center of all of our activity. We're consumed with Jesus And if they do not love Jesus now, that will be a hell to them in the future. They will not like it. So, how do we do this? Well, if you're sharing the gospel, this comes to once again, do you know your gospel? Are you indebted to the gospel? Do you love the gospel? Do you love Jesus Christ? Because if you love him, that love will overflow and pour into others. And when you share the gospel, share the fullness of it. You're proclaiming the gospel. Pour out the excitement. Pour out the emotion. Understand how you were redeemed and tell them that they can be redeemed too. You have to treasure the gospel. And when you treasure the gospel, your treasure, the others will see the treasure of Christ in you. And then they will believe Amaze them with God, as the book outside is titled. Experience the cross daily, and you will give the cross of Christ to those in your life daily. That is the Jesus we must give to the world, and we cannot give them anything less. All right, let's look at the fertile ground as we, our last type of soil. All right. So, this seed, as the sower casts the seed, this one goes on and this one lands in good, fertile soil so that it produces 30, 60, 100-fold. This soil represents the true Christian. If you're a believer in here, this was you. You understand the truth of the gospel and you receive the gift of eternal life. This is what we want to expect every time when we proclaim the gospel. So let's see what happens person hears the gospel. Okay. Step two, they do something with the gospel. In this case, verse 20 says that they hear the word, they accept the word, and they bear fruit according to the word. Step three, the person is challenged. Well, this person is challenged just like all the other soil types, but because they believed in the power of God, the power of gospel, they overcame. Satan Wants to snatch this person away just like he does the others. But the blood of Christ proves too much for him and Satan flies away hungry. The world will bring about persecution and tribulations against this person, this Christian. However, the cross of, the cross of Christ is our example and we will endure the hardships because we know many, many, many crowns are waiting for us in glory. We want to follow in the footsteps of our Lord to the cross. The world is going to entice us. If the persecution doesn't work, they're going to entice us with all these lusts, all of their might appealing to our senses. (laughs) But in the end, we know the lavishing nature of Christ's love, and it is overwhelming to us, and we will not settle for anything less. Christ reigns victorious. Nothing, nothing conquers this person because the conqueror, is the one who lives and breathes in us. And it is not we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. So where does this path take us to? Where does wh- what happens with this type of soil? Heaven, eternal life. So what do we learn from this situation? What do we learn from this scenario? Well, one we learn that evil is not in the majority. <clears throat> Evil is not in the majority. We, 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 read, we read this parable and immediately we think four soil types, four seeds, only one seed and one soil type are for Christ while all three of the others fall into sin and death. However, that's not what this parable is presenting. Yes, the sinner who refuses to repent can have a variety of outcomes, three in fact, but there's only one outcome for those who believe. And that is victory through the blood of the Son of God. We bear fruit and we reap a harvest. We don't have to wonder about our fate as Christians because it is certain we're going to produce food. We're going to enjoy the Lord forever. And you know what? Four types of soil, four seeds. However, when there's actually six seeds in this parable. And I think Jesus does this to, in, in, to Jesus does this intentionally to show that evil is not the majority. What are the six seeds? Well, the first seed was sown along the path. The second seed was sown on the rocky ground. The third seed was sown in the thorns. The fourth seed yields 30-fold. The fifth seed yields 60-fold. The the sixth seed yields 100-fold. This is most clear in Matthew's iteration of the parable, Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another case, sixtyfold, and in another case, thirtyfold. The Greek also speaks with the preposition multiple times in between the, the, the harvest between the seeds if we learn anything from this parable, is that God dominates evil. None of the other seeds produce anything. There's no harvest in those other soil types. There's no life in those soil types. It's just death. Only one type of soil bore life. Only one type of soil can sustain life. And that is that of a true believer the kingdom of heaven will last for all eternity all other kingdoms will fall the second thing we learn is the Christian can receive the gospel with the expectation that God will work mightily through their life none of the seeds that landed in the good soil none of them all of them produced all of them did The Christian bears fruit and each one of us will bear fruit according to our gifts just as each seed bore a different quantity so does each one of us bear a differing amount of fruit. quantity does not matter in God's kingdom just the fruit the quality do not compare yourself to another Christian do not look at what the harvest of another Christian is and they get to reap and then you begin to envy them saying God why are you not using me Instead, come alongside the work of God. Pray for the other brother or sister in Christ. God has granted them to reap a hundredfold while others only may get tenfold, threefold, fourfold, fivefold. And I'm going to tell you the one who reaps any type of multiplier is infinitely blessed already. So rejoice. Rejoice. The fact, the fact that you're reaping any type of harvest is a massive, infinite grace. And second, due, the harvest is due to the power and love of God at work in your life. Rejoice when it's taking place. You are being used for his purposes and you are not anything less than another because God is using all of his might, all of his might to work through you. So give him praise. Third, God is still multiplying your work. Whether it's 100 or whether it's 10, God is multiplying the works of your hands. Every effort is growing his kingdom. There is probably fruit that you have that you have no idea. Whenever we get into heaven, God is going to look at you and you'll be able to see a web of work that he used to work through you. How many of you have prayed for many, many, many years for a loved one? Those prayers... God used, that's harvest. I remember at Sun City, the church we, uh, we helped plant in El Paso, I did a lot of door knocking where you just go knock on a door, put up a flyer, hey, come to church. I mean, I probably, I'm not kidding when I say I probably did about four or 5,000 homes in my, in my time, in my career in El Paso. And you know what? Not a single one of those people ever showed up to Sun City Church. Not a single one. And then I just spoke uh, to the pastor there this past week. So I felt like this was the fitting example. Uh, One of the people in the neighborhood he mentioned, that was one of mine. Guess what? They're coming to Sun City Church three years later. (laughs) It takes time. God is using our work. Your work is important. Keep going. Keep going. As I come to a close and the band's going to come up for their final song i want you to i want you just to be encouraged this morning read this parable and be encouraged the lord is working leave as you go out to your workplaces to your families as you gather for thanksgiving leave with the expectation that the lord is going to use you and they're going to believe so let me pray Father, wow, Lord, and whenever we are taking an honest look at who we are, Lord, we were sinners and all of our works, Lord, were that of filthy rags. Every one of them, Lord, could not do good, Lord. We were stuck in our sin, but we have been redeemed through the power of the blood of your Son. And now, Lord, we can look at our hands and rejoice because these hands are, being work, are working for your kingdom and your glory, and they are now good works through your power. You're using us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for using us as a mouthpiece for your gospel, for giving us an opportunity to speak eternal life, to one who is dead and father as we go out within each one of our hearts we pray for you to do a work in each one of us a massive work to give us a massive amount of courage and clarity to proclaim the gospel this week as we celebrate thanksgiving help us to declare the gospel and lord when you want to use us and our sin wants to hold back, Or we pray that you put a fire in our bones to indeed that we cannot hold it back. Lord, we pray for our evangelism report to be full of opportunities, to be full of instances that we got to work for your kingdom. And we pray that somebody believes through your power, through your spirit, Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and the gift of life. Amen.